You're listening to Episode 3 of The Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Today's episode is brought to you by The Cloud. When you get tired of lugging that basket around, upload your deplorables to The Cloud. The Cloud, where your information will probably get hacked. On today's episode, Baskets of Deplorable Propaganda, The Media Framing Effect, the alt-right and the move towards one party, and propaganda to look out for. Here's Monica Perez. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley, and episode three of the Propaganda Report, where we tell you what the news really means. Hey, Brad, you ready? I am. All right, I'm going to dig right in with the story of the week, in my opinion, the famous deplorables quote of Hillary's. She said to an LGBT fundraising dinner organized by Barbara Streisand, she, the, the big hullabaloo this week was that she said uh, that Trump supporters were what I call a basket of deplorables. That's what she said. And I'll tell you, as soon as I heard that, I just had this mental image of Les Mis, like Miserable, which was this, well, everybody knows it's a musical, but the the image it invokes were these people, it's like that expression Les Mis is, has an underlying feeling that these are those who uh, are held in contempt by society, but they're really victims of society. They're the great, the wretched unwashed but but they're sympathetic like if you actually see the musical that Jean Valjean went to jail for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving niece so these people were really victims and that was that was the the image I had in my mind of this basket just teeming with the great unwashed and to my surprise when and I don't know what I, I'm not taking credit for being prescient, but when I opened the Wall Street Journal this week and saw the article uh, Lay Deplorable, it was written just like, as a matter of fact, here, if we have a little video, I'll give you my uh, a um, visual aid of the picture of the article with the imagery from Lay Miz. So I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't figure it out. They... They wanted that. And this article, I want to talk a little bit about it. But obviously, there was an image that was meant to be evoked, and it worked on me. She delivered it. And when she said what I call, I thought to myself, somebody wrote that for you. You you don't call it that. Like, you're reading it. But this guy, Wall Street Journal guy, who looks to be supporting these people, it looks like a sympathetic article. He's playing into it. I want to get into that. But I wanted to get your reaction for uh, what what's going on there with that imagery? Well, they're trying to create a group of people, like you said, that they can outcast, put into a basket, and just kind of push off away from America. Hillary actually says in that speech they're irredeemable and they're un-American, and she's trying to create a group of people that 
even people who support Trump, there's two groups of people who support Trump the way they're identifying them. There's those people who are enthusiastic about it, and there's those who think he's the less of two evils. She's trying to cast the people who are enthusiastic about Trump as un-American, deplorable, people who are a threat to America, who are a threat to the lives of, uh, the, of everybody else, a demon. She actually, in that very speech— classifies she said half of them are these deplorables and the other half are people who feel the government has let them down uh the economy has let them down nobody cares about them and they're just desperate for change so it it was a kind of reactionary thing uh she she does identify them Oh, this is what I was going to say. The the what what she does while she paints this picture of the deplorables, she also gets sympathy for them, and that that gives them some power, some standing. It, it paints them in a certain light, but it reminds me of what you were saying about her coughing fit a while back. Uh, that you did a video about Hillary having this coughing fit before she was diagnosed with pneumonia. Yeah. Which most people think that, oh, she's the conspiracy theory is that she's super duper sick. My conspiracy theory is that she's not sick at all. And this is a game because they show you they're showing you this stuff. They're feeding it to you right. on a spoon. And and I just think back at FDR, who was actually paralyzed and managed to hide that. Uh, so it reminded me then then I thought immediately when she was diagnosed with pneumonia, I thought, man, Binkley was right. He was he was like that coughing thing. But but your interpretation was that she was being uh, that she was getting sympathy. That's right. that's was one of the purposes of that. And I just feel like there's a lot of parallel tactics going on right now yeah, across yeah. the whole campaign. And that this feels parallel to that victim thing to me. Yeah, I, I can see that turning. uh Creating some sort of sympathy for for those Trump for those Trump voters who are, who are supporting him. Yeah, it, it's a it. She she's definitely creating characteristics of a group of people that are distinctly separate from everybody else. And I I mean I don't know. I think I think her sickness thing is, is definitely. Yeah. What did you? What was your reaction when you heard that pneumonia thing? Like what? As it well, unfolded, I, in a way, I, the way you were seeing it. to me. And they talk about how, well, it was an independent journalist who got the video who was standing. I know. Somebody standing with an iPhone holding a phone up to film her with a, a Secret Service agent directly in front of them who saw. They would not have allowed and us to see And there were two angles. Them. Two and angles. Her, and she was leaning against the thing, and then she starts. It, was, it looked totally fake it's, to me. It's a spectacle. It humanizes her. Hillary needs to be humanized because everybody thinks that she's uh, evil and just kind of distant. And— it makes her appear to to be strong when she comes back and is able to to get through the election, and it also enables her to take all those people who she labels as deplorables and say, "See how crazy they are. This is evidence of how crazy they are." Oh yeah, there's definitely that. But I, I have to say, I wondered if maybe the whole thing was just about getting her a few days off, like <laughs> she, she, to get her Botox on, or right. when when remember when Robert Gibbs, the press secretary got all the media onto a plane and Obama and I think Hillary and even maybe McCain went and, and went to the Bilderberg 
meeting. Do you remember that? And I thought like, maybe this is just a diversion so that she can go whatever, secretly meet with David Rockefeller. Or the Rockefellers. Yeah, maybe she just wants a few days off. She Anything to keep her away from people, I think, is what she wants while making people think that she is a genuine, yes. authentic person as opposed well, to want, a monster. I want to uh, just say a little more about this article. It's It says that the subtext is Hillary Clinton names the five phobias of Donald Trump's political supporters. She calls them racist, sexist homophobic, xenophobic, and Islamophobic. Uh, He, so this guy writes, she puts back in play what will be seen as one of the 2016 campaign's defining forces, the revolt of the politically incorrect. This is something that I noticed throughout the treatment of this and throughout this article. He says, uh, these people, the lay deplorables, are uh, this writhing mass of unheard Americans who rebel uh, against who rebelled against the intellectual elites ancien regime of political correctness. So he's bringing the French Revolution feeling forward. But it, later on, he says Donald Trump's appeal in part is that he cracks back at progressive cultural condescension in utterly crude terms. These people are fed up. So. He he writes all this stuff in the tone of reaction. And uh, so rather than make it feel like these are people like the Tea Party was or Ron Paul Revolution was who have real principles and actual positive message. Yes, they were angry, but they had a message. Here is the answer. They weren't reacting. And when you react... You validate how they frame the argument. So by reacting, by saying you're framing everything in by race and you hate white males, well, yeah. white males are better. <laughs> you know, that that doesn't yeah, negate, yeah. that doesn't neutralize the framing the issue that way. It empowers it. And this guy is saying, Oh, these these people are right, blah, blah, blah. But he he says stuff right. like uh his appeal. Donald Trump's appeal is that he does this in crude terms. The way they paint, even this guy, the way these intellectuals, even on the right, are painting them. And I also noticed that on Fox News and um, mainstream online sources from the right. They also are putting these people into the basket. And and that basket is, it's really separating the world into two different classes. Like these people are emotional. They are angry. They respond. They want what's there. They want a piece of the pie. They don't know how to get it. Who can blame them for being angry? I just, I get this. I, I mean, I have a lot of different articles to to bring out what I believe is what's going on under here. But that's... That's the feeling that I, I, agree. I think, yeah, they're they're all trying to pigeonhole these people. And these people, just because they didn't go to college doesn't mean they didn't understand the the basic American principles that Ron Paul and the Tea Party. I mean, when I went to march with the Tea Party as a Ron Paul supporter against Obamacare, I mean, it was maybe every it's possible every single person was wearing like a shirt that looked like the American flag and had a fanny pack on. I mean, this was middle America (laughs) fanny packs everywhere. I mean, this was middle America and it it didn't, uh, I mean, uh, there was another article in the paper that said 
farmers want student loan forgiveness because they sent their kids to college and then they came back and couldn't pay the loans. I'm like, okay, so are these, if the farmers are going to college, who, who are these people who don't get it, who just have to emote and this is what you get. This is the backlash you get from these unwashed, deplorable people. Even this guy who sounds sympathetic is making that point. Right. Uh, I, I, I agree that they're separating the groups. Um, I, I have, a, I have an opinion about what they're trying to do about it. That, might be a little bit extreme, but I think it's more about the term that she's creating as opposed to who they are right now. I, I think they used alt-right because it was uh, an existing group that when she presented the traits uh, during her speech that people could go online and search that group and they could, through confirmation bias, they could say this group does exist. There is yeah. an uprising. And then she could take that term and she could apply it flexibly to anybody who she associates with them, which, is, which means anybody who disagrees with Hillary or who falls outside the mainstream. That's Bernie supporters. That's uh, independents. That's libertarians. That's anybody who it's advantageous to Hillary to say, oh, that person just revealed information about me that might be true. That person's a member of the alt-right. And that, that will be a shutdown trigger for everybody there's else. also an alt left which i thought i was going to coin it because it's another astroturf thing I, I was reading an article i was watching a video of shane smith the founder of vice which is supposed to be this like alternative whatever interviewing edward snowden in moscow while snowden takes apart an iphone and it, like isn't he america's most wanted edward yeah. snowden it was so contrived so ridiculous so made up and i thought are these guys the alt left because the way hillary was talking about alt was um you know, conspiracy theory stuff was right. an essential element. And I thought maybe the alt left are people who uh, also embrace alternative narratives to the official story. Story. So, but I discovered that they they've coined alt left to be Democrats who are also uh, white backlash people. Like they they made it all racial, and then you have people saying. I I am socially uh, I'm fiscally liberal and socially conservative, which I I guess I didn't even know really. <laughs> so I you know they don't like the PC language, but they do want welfare. And I thought an alt left it would be nice to coin a term alt left to to identify a group on the left who also questions the official narrative. But they're there's they're having none of that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. My sister told me the other day that and I had no idea. I'm totally ignorant to this, but there's Gay Pride Week and then there's yeah. Black Gay Pride Week. Do and they I, rumble? I don't know, but apparently <laughs> oh. there is a lot of racial tension. Like West Side Story. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? So that that speaks to what you're you're talking about there. So like uh, another subdivide. Right underneath that group so that even they can't get together and say, what are we putting up with all this crap for? Exactly. Why are we labeling ourselves just a micro, 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 which for me, I, the smaller your group, the better. I like the group of one. I'm an individualist, but I, I absolutely hate the collective characterization, like collective, collective groups. And I've been noticing it for years, this racist strain or, uh, putting things in terms of race that the that the backlash against political correct there's a lot of anti-semitism like that too where they just put will put racial or ethnic slurs you can't so you can't discuss any real issues right. at all it just shuts down the conversation but uh 
But I noticed it, and what it does is it negates the libertarian principles that, and like the founding of this country and Christian principles, that it doesn't matter. The in-group, out-group thing doesn't matter. So there was always group evolutionary behavior. You can see it, like the Masons, the Skull and Bones, like they hire their own people first before they'll hire equally qualified people who are not in the in-group and it's yeah. and it promotes their group. They, they are more, Scientology does that yeah. in Hollywood. So the, the libertarian answer, and I think Christ's message was this, that you don't do that. You, you treat everybody equally and, and you actually do not need, they, they drill down into characteristics of the group. So yeah. they're like, well, uh, there's a bell curve, you know, so some races are smarter than others and that's why there's more success. But if you look at that, you have like Europeans are not at the top of the list. Middle Easterners are above Europeans on that, you know, on that stacking that up. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, so, but the point is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Liberty and justice for all thing. If that's the way it works out, if there's a natural elite, maybe there's a natural elite just of IQ. Maybe yeah. that's what rises to the top. I mean, I don't know. In in sports, it's obviously there's an elite. I could never be a professional tennis player. Uh, don't sell it's, yourself short. <laughs> Maybe I could, but I don't know, and it doesn't seem like it. I'm just saying that they, the, by framing it, this guy, everybody, by framing it in uh, reactionary terms, it accepts the premise. It's that uh -huh. dialectic. It's thesis, antithesis, synthesis. But, but the libertarian view and the fundamental American view is not about... Uh, doesn't accept or react even to that thesis. That thesis is outside of the political realm. It doesn't matter. All we really want is true liberty, uh, true justice, not social justice, true justice. Like yeah. if you do something wrong, you get punished. If you don't, they leave you alone. Liberty and justice go hand in hand that way. And beyond that, have your own beliefs, do whatever you want. It does not belong in the political realm. And everybody on both sides seems to be making it political. Right, and that's they they own they use the justice and liberty a, as a way to get people to to support them. They they present their programs and their ideas as we need this to uh, to you know strengthen liberty. And when you actually dig deep into the program, it's not that. So they just use those words to get people over emotionally. And what you were saying a second ago about people being categorized is—they're doing that in the media too. They actually brought up a study based on what you just said about people, about white people who were given a survey and the percentage of them that, that said that white people were smarter than black people or smarter than Mexicans. And they were using these polls as evidence, as proof that they called it, that Trump supporters are bigots. This is what they've been doing in the media. They've been presenting evidence of proof, saying absolute proof. And, right. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. And if you know... I, even with Mark Twain's lies, damn lies, and statistics, I'll tell you, that stuff can be so manipulated. I'm going to add one, surveillance cameras, video footage, because that's that's another thing where it's like, oh, we have absolute proof. But if they cut the edges off right. and it's out of context, you have yeah. absolutely no idea. And, and just I wanted to, before we move on, the uh, this art of ambiguity that we talked about last time, 
where like with the Black Lives Matters things, it's never a clear a clear cut case. The video's never clear, blah, blah, blah. So I saw today an article in the paper that showed uh, it says Ohio boy with BB gun killed by police. And that's a picture of the gun, which really looks like yeah. a um, it actually says in the article, it's identical. It's like a replica of the guns the police use. So it was obviously meant to look like a real gun. And what he did, what the kid, they were, th- they a witness called in that three people were uh, uh, engaged in armed robbery. So the cops were responding to that. But so people who are reading this article can either say, look at those cops. And it says in the article, the cop was white. And the boy was black. Yeah. So it says that. So then you could read the article, but then it says he was engaged in armed robbery. So if you already think in those terms right. and you're just like, oh, he was a thug, it just it just feeds into that. And uh, the I've noticed it for so long. So stuff that just like wanted to ugh, bleach bit my computer after like visiting a couple of sites that were fairly popular. Uh, and I saw stuff that was like made up stuff that wasn't even true. Yeah. And I realized somebody is promoting this and, uh, and just, you know, you have to wonder why, but what you're saying right there, and there's a great, ex- I mean, it's all over the media, but there's a great example of it that MSNBC, the morning Joe, uh, used the other day, but it's a propaganda technique. It's, it's, it's priming effect. They're priming people to feel and believe a certain way about something before they even, yes. even read it. And psychologically, even if you are, they've done tests on this, even if you are against something that, that is in the content, in the context of it, by priming you with all this language, which is what Hillary was doing during that speech and, and what the media has been doing since then um, to prime people for the alt-right and the deplorable comments, it is you still are, are biased. You still, it, it affects your bias. Even if you understand what's going on, by getting primed, it still affects you. And that's, that's what that article is doing. In the Morning Joe, the example, ah. the example they did in the Morning Joe was they were presenting a media clip of Mike Pence responding to a question about David Duke. And his response was, yeah, they keep drilling down on David Duke. His response was, we denounce him. We do not want his vote. We do not want anybody who's like him. We do not want their vote. Yeah. And then Wolf Blitzer tries to put in his mouth, so you'd say he's deplorable. Yes. So yes. that Hillary could then take that term and generalize it and say, see, even Trump's vice president thinks his followers are. are it was are a deplorable. crazy thing. It was like it was like, say it, say the word, right. yeah. say it. <laughs> that, that was a concerted effort because the way they if you just watch that clip in isolation with no priming and nothing else, everybody watching it who understood that, that they're trying to get that soundbite from Mike Pence. Would yeah. go, oh, that's a reasonable response. That's a completely right. reasonable response. But the way they presented it on The Morning Joe is they spent five minutes going, Donald yeah. Trump has some nerve. Some, and then, I mean, just bashing and just setting those, uh, those primes up. And then right before it, Mika goes, they, the, somebody else goes, well, can we watch the, the, the clip of Mike Pence now? And then Mika goes, yes, if you haven't died inside – Get ready to die inside. Oh, my God. deplorable. Get questions like Mike Pence got yesterday. Can we run the mic? I'm sorry, Mike, and then you respond to this. This is the type of thing that makes you die inside. This is what (laughs) happened. Oh, I'm already dead inside. Get ready to just If you haven't died inside. Or lose. I mean, you will now. So so this is why Hillary Clinton may have died. I mean, just over the top. Like, that's unbelievable how they're priming people right now. They tell you how to think. The... 
one last thing I wanted to point out was it's there is something to there's something a little deeper going on here, which is that it was a carefully crafted term that people in that group are embracing like queer. You're just like, hey, man, I'm going to own that. And then it diffuses. So I'll tell you, overnight, I had numerous Twitter followers change their handles. So I had deplorable Reb. uh, I'm your deplorable, deplorable Muslim for Trump. And uh, and Tmot, the Minister of Truth, Atlanta's own, had a meme up with uh, his face and it said adorable, deplorable. And he is adorable. So it was perfect. But he just embraced it. They embrace it. And uh, you can't help but think that they that it was set up that way it was set up it's this dialectic thing and then you embrace it and like the alt-right thing so many people did that to me like us on the alt-right us on the alt-right i'm like you know what if we accept that that uh definition i'm not on the alt-right anyway i mean i actually read the article of the guy who coined it the article that he coined which was when he coined it december 2008 paul gottfried the decline and rise of the alternative right and it's it's not he seems like a former libertarian. It's not super offensive, but I don't I don't think I'm that I'm a libertarian. He makes fun of libertarians. But you you love one of the really, I thought, over the top YouTube videos I posted where somebody said, oh, this defines alt right. Here you go, Monica. And at the end, it was really it was kind of messed up because in that article, in that video, I wrote, I actually transcribed it and wrote down every single thing the guy said. And there were all these uh, nods to what, what I want to talk about in a minute, populism, where he <laughs> says, he says, uh, he says, these are all the things that are all right. Welfare is, is a safety net, not a hammock. But, you know, the real right, anybody on the real right doesn't doesn't like welfare it's just not something you want says americans will do jobs better than illegal aliens they just want a higher wage really people on the right want minimum wage to go up uh we want lower taxes to create jobs and build business no you don't you want lower taxes because they're stealing your money i mean what is he talking about but at the end i just realized at the end he says if hillary thinks you're a bad person you're probably pretty fantastic I so mean, he set it up so that you would embrace the term alt-right, deplorable, right. to embrace the term out of reaction to her. But when they define it that way, it's what are you supposed to do? It makes you it takes away any possibility to join. That's why I don't want to give up on the word capitalism. Right. Well, they, they, I mean, I it's, that, that's a dangerous thing that they're doing, I believe. If if Hitler thought you were a bad person. You didn't want to be. You didn't want to be thought a bad person to Hitler. His his deplorable baskets were called concentration camps. <laughs> oh my gosh! And, and, and well, Stalin and Hitler didn't like each other in the beginning. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that you're better. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that people who are embra- like like you're saying people who are embracing this idea, if they really look at what Hillary is trying to label them as and trying to make people who support her see them as, then embracing that idea. Six months from now, two years from now, if Hillary is in office, could come up to backfire when she says, let's start shipping those deplorables out of the country in little baskets in the ocean. No, she needs them. She needs that. uh, She needs someone to 
for people to hate. Right, to like be mean to her. To Yeah, to for people to go to rally behind her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To be mean to everybody. They're mean yeah, to everybody. Yeah. So I noticed this. Uh, I recalled an article from a long time ago, from 2012, where they said... Do you remember this? It was a leaked strategy document for Obama that called for, it was widely reported, I don't know if this was paraphrased or whatever, abandoning the white working class. Do you remember that? No. I remember it very distinctly because I thought, why would they leak that strategy? Why would they even write that? Why would you even really write that? And uh, I remember thinking, what could that possibly mean? Why, why, why? Now, that was four years ago which happens to be when Trump, no, that was five years ago. That was November, 2011. Trump did register Make America Great Again in 2012, by the way, which is earlier than his kids said that they didn't even know he was running for president until last year or whatever. Right. I mean, it's a little weird. But I just feel like this idea of isolating the white working class as a despised Group that was in the report from Iron Mountain. It says you need an enemy as complex as society itself. So it's useful to take a group within society like a despised minority or despised ethnicity, for example. And I noticed this with like the Bundy Ranch stuff when Hillary came out and said, those gun gun nuts have half of the country terrified. So our, so it's... I've seen them trying to glob those people together, but this is what they're doing. They're converting the, what would be the natural, the, the real problem, the real problem minority to the big government types on the left and the right are the Ron Paul revolution people and the Tea Party. The people who want smaller government, that's the only threat to the establishment. And in a great article I wrote, which you should read, by, about Irving Kristol's book, Neoconservatism, the Autobiography of an Idea, he talks about, I've mentioned this many, many times, but he talks about how he was a, he was a neo-Trotskyist, a neo-whatever, all these things that were totally on the left. And lastly, he was a neoconservative. He had started the counter-counter cultural revolution with John Potterist or whatever his name is. So what they, but what he said was there is, the GOP needs to get this into their head. There's no point in winning elections if all you're going to end up with is a small government. So make government bigger, even if you have to bring the country to its knees by layering welfare program from the left on top of welfare program from the right. We'll just have a battle royale for who gets to run it, which yeah. is how they do it in England. Yeah. yeah, that's how they do it in England is the conservatives aren't for small government. Therefore, who can run this giant government better? And I yeah. have a lot of stuff to support all those things I just said. But I thought well, was I that the report on Iron Mountain you said? Oh, the report on Iron Mountain is super short. I should write a summary of it, but it's so darn short. You might as well read it. It's like 80 pages. And it was a best-selling nonfiction book from the 60s. And it talked about, the subtitle was On the Possibility and Desirability of Peace. So after the nuclear bombs were invented, they knew they could never really gin up another big war. So what were they going to do to keep the hierarchy in place? That's what it called for, okay. social, 
structure in yeah. place. And they said, you simply have to have a substitute for war. There is no other answer. You, you have to have enemies. enemy for another. Yeah, that's, that, right. I mean, so, that's verbatim what it describes in these yeah. propaganda books from the 1920s. I mean, verbatim. Yes. What you just said, that's what Hitler did. You should read it. It's it. One of the things it says is you could gin up an environmental hoax that would unite the world behind a world government. Yeah. But it would be hard because you'd have to get the entire scientific community to kowtow. And that's going to be tricky. You could deliberately pollute the earth, but someone might catch you. Yeah, what was it? It was Galileo while he was being dragged to his death saying, still, it still doesn't revolve around us. No, he recanted. He recanted, did he? Yes. Oh, I didn't Galileo know that. I think that what's going on here is very serious. It's it's the move towards the one party. I feel like okay. this is all about moving towards the one party. And so in Hillary's alt-right speech, she said, she she mentioned by name respectable Republicans that she considered kind of under the same tent as, as real politicians. Yeah. And it's funny. I've been so I actually started a hashtag one party now yeah. or there's one party now, something like that. And I happened to notice a just an article about a book Dick Morris wrote in 2014 called now Dick Morris was yeah, like her you best know, a defector. Friend. Yeah. Why? Like her best friend as, as he advertises that book. They, yeah. He got he got Bill reelected in 96 single-handedly he was the david axelrod of bills 96 but he compromised he did it by compromising and people were mad real liberals were mad because he compromised moved to the middle but then i guess for that reason uh bill clinton kind of kicked him out of the tent and then he went rogue Rogue, yeah (laughs) and now he's on fox all the time and he said he was one who said if the democrats still had a conservative wing i'd still be a democrat like what concern maybe you know i guess there is a conservative i really don't know yeah it was never made a study of the democrats but his book was called power grab obama's dangerous plan for a one-party nation now as soon as you slap obama on there to me it diminishes what what really is going on obama is just a puppet he's not the mastermind this is this is a multi-generational plan it plays into that divide and conquer though while still revealing some truth what's uh, it's a limit not a limited hangout but there's yeah yeah that's that is what a limited hangout is where they put some truth out there yeah in order to serve a higher purpose and they're willing to take the hit that's what i think snowden was oh and if you go back I, I had a whole list of the articles that I read. There was one in the New York Times about metadata collection from 2008. For, no, from Bush from like 98. No, when was it? No, 2008. Bush, George W. Bush was president in 2008. Yes, it was from that, a New York Times article revealing the big reveal of Edward Snowden. Yeah, before Yeah, Edward. there were numerous ones like that. Yeah, see, my problem with Edward Snowden and uh, uh, Julian, uh, the other guy, is that Whistleblowers used to hide out in caves and change their name and appearance. Now they have like regular segments where they're giving information on Fox News. Yeah. Oliver Stone's making a movie in real yeah. time about Edward Snowden and uh, and Laura Poitras. All of a sudden, there was like this ten minute interview in a hotel room, but then she wrote a documentary where she had these crazy shots from like across the street through his window. Like she had a complete production crew up for this guy before anyone even heard his name, yeah. and it won an Oscar. Yeah. So I think it's baloney. But the thing that I was uh, that this one party thing was significant about it to me. 
or or how this ties into what we're talking about is there's the it's this word it keeps coming up populism 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 like that is some kind of grassroots thing on the right and it's totally not and and how it's defined is not that they want small government it's that uh they want what's there so there was an article just in today's paper that said uh where was it it's a far cry from the, um, oh, here it is. Donald Trump promises tax cuts offset by robust growth. Here's the quote. It says, Mr. Trump's embrace of higher spending and tax cuts, higher spending and tax cuts, by the way, are a recipe for debt. And if you think that this is just simply about money and the military industrial complex, that is simply, in many cases, the big thing. The reason they even just want wars is for debt. It's to me, it's energy, defense and finance are the big three in the military industrial complex. And they want debt. They want big spending and lower taxes so that they can just keep business going. And they like war that wars create spending, justify spending. So it says his embrace of higher Trump's embrace of higher spending and tax cuts to boost the economy (laughs) marks marks a noticeable shift for the GOP from a few years ago when the Tea Party movement rebelled against bailouts and demanded greater attention to deficits. For Mr. Trump, growth is a much higher priority than deficit reduction, said Stephen Moore, an economic advisor to Mr. Trump. That was in today's. In yesterday's, let me tell you, in yesterday's paper, an article by Greg Ipp said... Uh, fiscal policy across the developed world is collectively turning more stimulative for the first time since the end of the recession. It signals a profound shift in the political winds. Globally, the rise of political populism has pushed deficits down the list of priorities while elevating tax cuts and benefits for the working class. I mean, the reason I want to talk about like the reason I even want to do this show what we do, why we're doing this way is that these articles are not reporting the news. They're framing stuff. They're, they're creating the world. Yeah. They, it's like, I I wrote in one of my margin notes, does saying it make it so? And I think it might. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pseudo environment. We get most of our information, not from direct contact, but, but from sources that filter and distort it. And that becomes our reality. And, so, and that reality it isn't what is really going on. It's what is projected to us by people with uh, self-interest. Well, you were touching on that a little bit earlier, where if they tell you what to think, that's what you think. Yeah. If they pull it in a certain way, if they, you know, do you agree with most Americans that Trump supporters are racist? Uh, exactly. I guess I agree with I mean, most that's you know, like, questions. Yeah. And that book I yeah. told you about that the CIA recommends their agents reading like the one they would recommend their agents all reading talks about framing and priming effects in order to influence the reality of the people that they're working with or that they're manipulating. And they used to they used to supposed to not do that to the American public. But there was a, a thing called the Smith-Munt Amendment a couple of years ago that said, oh, they can do it to the American public now. Uh, yeah, I, I don't and even that's know. This- that, that, that baffles me as much as anything else because it's not like before then they weren't using propaganda on us. And they suddenly said, OK, now it's legal. Like they've been doing it systematically oh, yeah. for such a long time. No, it's time. to keep people from going to jail as they ramp it up. Okay. They don't want to have to go to jail right. for it. 
they don't need scapegoats. They can make them, they can promote them. Right. Give them good jobs and labels. When you look at, I was reading some 9-11 stuff. James Corbett has a good series of like people who were uh, in government, U.S. government during 9-11. And like some of the, the, one guy is like, amazing failure to scramble jets in time. One of the planes was in the air for like an hour and a half. And that guy was like, yeah, I don't know. I just couldn't figure it out. He got massively promoted. He was a hero. He got like awards. He couldn't figure out what the plane is. Is this the NORAD guy? Single hand. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that video. Uh, I know who you're talking about. He's just like, "Uh." I I don't know. I can't. Next question. (laughs) He's like, oh, here's your medal. Yeah, that, that was a good video series. It was like the suspects of 9-11, and he goes through each, and he profiles each individual suspect. Yeah, he did a great job. I'm sure it's been out there for a long time, but I just noticed that um, uh, they they don't hold people accountable, and then you don't even think twice about it. It's very strange, right. but I wanted to... Yeah, you can say what you want well, to say. So their say their goals, it's it's a matter of that perspective again. From our perspective, we we think that their goals would be something that would be to the benefit of all, or or how, or to the benefit of how we perceive things. But the his goal was probably to do exactly what he did. So he he accomplished his job. So he got the promotion, even though it looks like he failed. Right. Oh, that's what I was saying. Is that uh, it would be hard to. I mean, I guess it's not that hard to pull that off, to keep people out of jail, not only keep them out of jail, but promote them. But still, if you need more and more low-level people to do stuff like that, if you're really going to ramp up false flags and um, create this, what's called the strategy of tension, yeah. if you have, if there really is a, a Gladio B, you, which is like a operation where there's false terrorism in order to influence the, the politics of the people you're going to need a lot of people in on it and maybe you're going to want to be able to show them, Hey, it's not even illegal, That's, yeah. but not to beat the economic thing to death. But I wanted to just mention this populist thing is to me a way that they are moving the American right which is very different. The American right, right, it just means conservative. Conservative means the ways of the past. The past in this country is the American experiment, liberty and justice for all and small government. But for Europe, conservatism is they don't want to change the ways, but their ways bubbled up from a medieval distribution, literally medieval distribution of land, like in a feudalist society. So it's not like every little person had land. Like here, if you go to Texas, there's so many millionaires from Oklahoma who were farmers and just there was gas and oil under their land. They're so crazy rich because they own the rights on their little piece of land down to the ground and up you know, to the center of the earth and to the heaven. And that because we had a different tradition of property ownership, we don't have that impossible to escape class system. You can you can go. I noticed this in London, like the people who owned the squares like 300 years ago still own the buildings. They have this thing called a 99 year lease always reverts back to those is very common to do it that way. And they're they're families whose greatest failure would be if one of their descendants had to get a job. So so their attitudes like the left and the right there. It's like both sides embrace this idea. Well, there's nothing we're ever going to be able to do about that. 
they call them capitalists, but they were really feudal lords. Yeah. So all we can hope to do is try to get some of that money back, you know, try to get some of that money for us because they just didn't leave us enough. They gobbled up all the land, all the property, all the wealth, all the resources. And on the left, they had this international communist thing, Workers of the World Unite. But on the right, at the same time, was like a nationalistic socialism thing. That's what the Nazis were, national socialists, where they had this idea of ethnicity and wanted to keep it in the you know, that redistribution or whatever within the confines of the country. But that's not really an appropriate approach in the United States. Like the the grassroots right is not thinking, oh, I just want to get mine and you stole it from me. Nobody stole it from anybody. You know what I mean? There's still land to be had. There's still, I, I was reading, I don't know if this is true statistic. I, I couldn't figure it out, but I couldn't get it right for sure. Confirm it. But I think something like 5% of the wealth in this country is inherited which means that it's all up for grabs when people, they inherit it and then they piss it away. So it only happens one generation. So I just feel like it's very artificial, but it's all about big government, central control, central planning. And when I was wondering from the beginning what this Trump psyop really was all about, I had some ideas, but I really feel like now that he is suggesting that unemployment benefits cover maternity leave and all these kind of socialist programs, it seems to me that uh, one of the goals for his role was that. And I, and I have a couple of quotes to support that. Go for it. Tell me what you got. That would make sense because he, he, he won people over to his way, so he won them over emotionally. Then what that enables him to do is, is bring in a program that people would have initially rejected had they, you know, had they not already accepted Trump the person. So – Right. Yeah. So that he went. Yeah, the, he brought yeah. them in, and now he's leading them to this other place, which you could predict because he was a Democrat yeah. basically for a long time. But here's the article that just absolutely the my flags went were tripped. It says um, re, this is the article, the title: Republicans are slow to back Donald Trump's paid maternity leave plan. Democrats criticize the proposal as insufficient compared with what Hillary Clinton is offering. Okay, so here's in the article it says. Uh, if more Republicans sign on, Mr. Trump's plan could turn the paid leave debate from a partisan standoff over whether to create a new benefit into a discussion over how generous it should be and how it should be paid for. So it just changes the discussion. And it says, uh, so then there's a quote from Cynthia Loomis, a Republican from Wyoming. This is a Republican from Wyoming. She says... I'm just so delighted to have a Republican talking about maternity leave because it finally puts Republicans in the debate. <laughs> I mean, what debate? We already decided there's no debate. It's no more they debate. They said she it's was a Republican. How big? She is a Republican. Okay. Cynthia Loomis, Republican, Wyoming. So there, it's he is doing. At first, I thought what he was doing was like the opposite of what Elizabeth Warren does for the Democrats. I thought he was uh, like being crazy on immigration so that the GOP would have an excuse to react and get kind of more liberal on immigration because the GOP power elite want the immigration really, truly, I believe, to lower wages and stuff for their corporate clients. But I thought 
that he would be there as a reactionary force to stimulate a reaction, whereas Elizabeth Warren just moves, move, and so does Bernie Sanders, just moves the center to the left. But now Trump is actually moving the center to the left. He's just completely giving up on, uh, you know, there's just no small government principles at work here. And I think that that's the one party now, one party now. Yeah. And the way that people who support him will describe it is as, well, he's a problem solver. He, he's just looking at the six, the situation um, and he's saying this is the best way to solve this problem. And so he's applying this uh, program that would otherwise be viewed as, you know, socialistic or democratic or as a Democrats program. Does that make sense? Mm, so he, not really. The, the way that is, <laughs> like if you if you when you challenge somebody who supports Trump on that. Oftentimes the answer is, well, he's a problem solver. So he's taking the problems as they come to him, and he feels that this is the best way to right. solve that problem. Yeah, but that's what a central planner does. Right. Yeah, exactly. Central control. Yeah. But here's the, here's the actual issue with that, and it's um, Hayek wrote an article I saw referred to. Yeah, Selma Hayek. She's this fantastic economic she, thinker. You wouldn't hot. know that. Yeah. She was <laughs> super hot, too. Uh, no, but her uncle, Friedrich Hayek, <laughs> no relation. Yeah, just he's pretty hot himself. He wrote, he wrote an article that was the foundation of Wiki of Wikipedia, the mental foundation, according to Jimmy Wales, the actual founder of Wikipedia. But the article was about the nature of knowledge, that that no one in the world knows everything, but everyone in the world pretty much does know everything. So the pricing mechanism. So that was the idea behind Wikipedia that if everybody contributes, everything will. Be there. Now, I think it's totally controlled. Oh, yeah. I don't think everything's there. Look at Wiki Obama and tell me if that's 7 billion people contributing to that yeah. article or yeah. if it's simply written by one guy. Uh, but the economic principle for Hayek, who wrote The Road to Serfdom, by the way, was that the pricing mechanism is a perfect reflection of all information in the world. So every if you leave something on the shelf... The price of that thing is going to go down. If if you clean out the shelf, the price of that thing is going to go up. It is a, a perfect reflection of the wants and needs of the people and the cost of producing. So if something costs more to produce, then if you have to pay more for the materials and you can sell it, it goes away. It's just perfect. And uh, that's the basis of free markets. So his problem solving has to be inferior to individual choice because the pricing mechanism is absolutely perfect. Oh yeah, it, it's my economic moment. and and the idea behind that is the same with with more minds can better solve problems than than one mind can or a, a small collection of minds and the whole idea of big government is that a small collection of minds that that believe themselves to be more intelligent than the masses try to solve the problems of the masses. But that's the actual problem with them. Yeah. Because they think they are more intelligent. Yeah. They think then they think they're superior. Then they think that they should have more rights. Exactly. They really think that. They really think of us yeah, yeah. as different. Yeah, like a, a higher uh, race of being almost. Yeah, yeah. They, they we're the deplorables. We're poor the, the deplorables. Yeah. <laughs> you can't blame them for being stupid animals. They're just I know. You know, those are the two choices. I, Hillary blames them for being for being bad, but the guy in the journal feel sorry for them for being disgusting. Wait, we're just disgusting and bad and <laughs> we walk expect? around singing songs about how pathetic we are all day. 
Yeah, but I, I would be totally fine in the basket of deplorables, but I'm not any of those things. I'm not any of those but phobes. Thing, I, that, a- doesn't, that doesn't matter that we're not any of, any of those things. What matters is whether or not she Hillary can point to something about us. And for like me and you, it would be a conspiracy theory or, or yes. yeah, and say, see, that's confirmation that they are a deplorable racist bigot who will right. kill your family. So let's ship them out. <laughs> I, I'm afraid of the shipping them out thing. That's for sure. So uh, that's about all I've got. Did you want to tell us about um, TPP update? Or do you have other stuff on this, on the alt-right populism? Uh, I, don't, I didn't have a, the only thing I noticed on the TPP, I didn't, uh, haven't gone into the substance of it, was that Kasim Reed was meeting with Obama and some other people at the White House to talk about the TPP. And every time I think about Kasim Reed going to the White House, it reminds me that he was at Bilderberg a couple of years ago before the whole CDC yeah. thing where the, uh, the, the hero doctor who sacrificed his own serum when he was over in, I think it was Libya. Oh, yeah. The Samaritan's Purse yeah. guy, which Samaritan's Purse, by the way, like Doctors Without Borders, is widely regarded as being a kind of front. Yeah. Yeah. In, you know, so it's a way to put to cover for spies and stuff. And I'm not saying they don't do good work and aren't real doctors and all that kind of stuff, but I looked into it and uh, there was definitely some pre-existing theories out there of what those organizations are about. And I told somebody that, and she came back to me later and she said, you know, Doctors Without Borders just won the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, I was so like, Obama. see, yeah, see? I, mean- I told you. And she was just like, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, that proves my point. Yeah, they're not going to give like, the Nobel Peace Prize to yeah, anybody. The, the, somebody- there's a guy who was a military doctor who, who did uh, research for the Navy for decades. And he got extremely close to he discovered the mechanism for regeneration in humans through experimenting with, wow. with frogs. And then they cut off his funding like he was that close to the Nobel Prize, which of course he didn't win. They cut off his funding. They made his life hell, made it difficult for him to do anything for the rest of his life. The Lejeune, or Lejeune, I think the guy's name was, was the doctor. He was absolutely poised to win the Nobel Prize for his work with uh, discovering maybe the gene for Down syndrome, something like that. My son has Down syndrome, so he's like popular in our community. And uh, he wrote to his wife after he made this speech about that that the that it's like genocide to just kill them for that so that you should just still think of them as human beings even though and he wrote to his wife there goes my peace prize and and it did like his not the prize for peace but the nobel prize and he did not get it so he's like a hero in the catholic down syndrome community but they but they they are very political about that which is why i was always amazed that mother Teresa won the peace prize the nobel prize for peace because she did use that opportunity as a platform to talk about abortion, which for me, I'm a libertarian. I know there are two sides of the issue, but I respect the moral position and that she, I've read the speech, it's quite moving, but that that organization has just become so political that that it has to serve the agenda. Of course. Yeah. So if you win that, then you know, you're, you're, you're either going to be killed soon or you're going to be used for something bigger or you already you know that you're being used for something bigger. I have an article that relates to some of this 
that I found. Uh, FBI agents can pose as journalists, Inspector General says. FBI agents may impersonate journalists while conducting undercover investigations, and an agent who posed as an editor with the Associated Press during a 2007 investigation did not violate any, any agency policies. The Department of Justice uh, Office of the Investigator General found in a report released on Thursday. Do it always cracks me up when uh, I see crossover in that. Do you? I think it's John Miller. Was uh, is John Miller the guy? He's a journalist. He got the exclusive on the Jahar Sarnayev penned where the Jahar Sarnayev letter was dying, which I think he's dead. Even though they say he's who not. is it? He pe- Jahar Sarnayev, the younger brother of the Boston Marathon okay, bombing. Yeah. He penned a confession with a ballpoint pen on a fiberglass boat while he was shot like six times. And the only guy who got to see it was, I believe it was John Miller, the journalist. You're telling me you're getting fired at. You're in fight or flight mode. Your brain is literally does not have the higher resources to cognitively create a a, a creative act of writing a letter. And that's not even that's hardly even possible with the way our brains work when you're under fire. Yeah, I, I, I just didn't believe it. But the um, the guy who did it, I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm being fired on right now as I write this in my own yeah. blood. This is ridiculous. Yes, the it was on CBS News. John Miller, that was his name. CBS News correspondent John Miller. He used to be the head of PR for the FBI. That was oh, head of P- okay. That that's PR. Is that funny? PR means propagandist. Like that's what propagandist right. was changed to in the back of the yeah. 20s. What does FBI need PR for? Right. So he was the guy, and I'm like, okay, he's an FBI agent. People are like, no, no, he used to be. Right. That's funny. Oh, no, he's, <laughs> he's definitely he an FBI do it anymore. agent. He's clean. That reminded me. He's just a journalist now. What, what you just said reminded me. Uh, one of those polls that MSNBC was citing as proof. <laughs> Was they they cited an article that was written by somebody who worked for the Washington Post, and then they cited a poll that, when you look into it, was conducted by the Washington Post. What? So, the, so they said idea. it was a Washington Post article that MSNBC was using to say, "Here's proof to say, here's proof that that these deplorables are racist bigots." And they cited a, oh, yes. a Washington Post article, and within that Washington Post article, they cited a study. Now, when you look into it, that study was conducted by the Washington Post. Oh, I have noticed that so many times where like you'll look up all the footnotes on. I always, always look at the footnotes. I took a book back once because it didn't have footnotes. If the foot one, one book I had, all the footnotes were from the guy's own work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, you you can't footnote this fact by another article that you refer to that fact in. Who's your source? Where'd the fact come from? I'm my source. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. That's what they do, though. There Now, there are investigative journalists. Uh, I read a book called Dollars for Terror, and he was talking to CIA agents, and he was quoting them. So you just have to believe he was or believe he wasn't. But, boy, is that a good book. I wrote a summary of that of that on my website. If you want to check that out, com. So this is not all I got, but I... I can't get too much into the nitty gritty of all the populism stuff and the English stuff. They're saying there are, I might point out a few things to keep aware of. There's usually a lot of parallel, like I said, parallel tactics in the campaign. There's also parallel tactics in the Atlanticist countries, the West, you know. So 
Uh, the Brexit has, I, I had a couple of quotes about, uh, you know, I was saying they, that Trump said, don't worry about deficits anymore. I, I'm just paraphrasing these articles, what they're saying. This says same thing happened in England. Uh, once the Brexit happened, the new prime minister said, you know, we just need to get people what they need. Deficits are not a priority. Same thing happened in Germany for the first time ever they're proposing or in modern, you know, in memory, living memory, they're proposing tax cuts, but not spending cuts. So just all around the world, they're going out of their way to pump up debt, to give up on any kind of idea of constrained government. I see that. Another thing that's kind of weird that we were talking about the TPP earlier, the heat is really on to get that thing passed in a lame duck session, which is a super dirty trick since this is the the seed of a world economic government anyway. Exactly what Barry Goldwater uh, warned us about. Uh, but I noticed a couple of things. The First of all, the head of Malaysia, we're really going to go off track here. The head of Malaysia, for some reason, has just been, they're just trying to get rid of him. They're just trying to get rid of him ever since the Malaysia 370, which I also wrote a great article about cracking the code on that. I know where it is. You can Let's look it up, MonicaPerezShow.com. I really Sell do. It on eBay. They, no, it's the only place they didn't search in the search area was directly below where the plane just fell out of the sky, <laughs> which it did. Anyway, but I have so much, so many details about that. But ever since then, and I wondered at the beginning, why were they, why did they use the MH17, another Malaysian flight over Ukraine, which you can see there are um, videos of a soldier taking fresh, clean passports out of his trunk and throwing them around the area. And one of those passports was like the girl's picture. Yeah, crazy stuff. But it was targeting Malaysia. And then ever since then, I said, you know, maybe they're trying to get rid of the government of Malaysia. Maybe there's some kind of coup going on. And ev- and for a couple of years now, the Wall Street Journal's just done all these articles on what a piece of crap this guy is, and he's corrupt, and they're just trying to get rid of him. And he calls it, of course, a Western-backed coup. But I, I wondered if that had something to do with the TPP, that maybe these guys aren't completely on board with it. Maybe they don't want to play ball. And then I saw the Philippines guy. Remember the D- Duterte guy, whatever his name is? They, I don't know how to pronounce it. That is his name. Said, called Obama a son of a bitch or a son of a oh, whore. Yeah, Did you hear I that story? That. Yeah. I immediately called BS on that. I looked into it. It he I think what he did was they were it, it was one thing said it was the State Department, others said it was a press corps. Translation were just problem, hammer- right? Well, I mean it was deliberate though. And they, they were just hounding him relentlessly, provoking him, baiting oh, him. Yeah. And I think he said, son of a bitch. You yeah. know, like you would just say son of a bitch, you know? Nothing to do with calling Obama that. And I thought, well, they just wanted a little drama. But then there's a huge article today about this guy, uh, uh, some really not credible witness saying that he had people killed. So the Wall Street Journal headline is witness says Duterte had people killed. And then you read the article and it's like five paragraphs and it's like this witness has credibility problems. This guy said there's absolutely no evidence. Duterte wasn't even in the country that, you know, stuff like that. Why is that in the Wall Street Journal? Completely debunked article. Huge headlines. The the articles about Trump raping somebody that they were countering the whole Bill Clinton (laughs) uh, pedophile and rape cases with. 
they, they got the headlines. Nobody reads past the headlines. But then when you look into the person who brought it, it was a guy who used to be a producer for the Jerry Springer show who was like the publicist of this girl. And he has a history uh, of taking advantage of crisis, of crisis. Like during the O.J. Simpson trial, he said he had evidence that O.J. was buying drugs on the day of the murder. And it, to- it was totally bogus. Was buying what? He was buying drugs on the day of the murder. Like he presented, he's been presenting this evidence throughout his his career that was just completely yeah. bogus for the purpose of. But that's his job. Yeah, and that, that's his job is to make up stories. But they put that article about him about this uh, rape case as headlines. Yeah. yeah, they put stuff in the headline that's just amazing to me. I mean, in the in the articles, like this headline's been totally debunked. <laughs> right. and I'm like, well, why is this an article in the Wall Street Journal? It's like ten that's pages in that first section. Our attention is so sparse that we we capture a headline. And if it confirms well, a belief, we it becomes true in our mind. Yeah, it's beyond that. That was really, it was unscrupulous. But I, my my point is just I'm just raising the flag to keep this Philippine guy in your yeah. sights. And I wonder if it has to do with the TPP because that TPP is really important to these people. They've been working on it for a decade. They are not going to let that go. So I wouldn't be surprised if if it passes in the lame duck session and just like we were enraged by Obamacare, it doesn't mean we're going to fix it. Okay. So keep a lookout for this guy related to the TPP. (laughs) All right. Not good enough. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm re I'm re uh, enforcing it in my mind. So I'm making a mental note. That's what I'm doing. Yes. I just wish I could pronounce his name and then we wouldn't, I I wouldn't have to keep an eye out for (laughs) some of that guy. The Philippine guy, the Philippine son of a whore. I got a couple things to look out for too. If you're, if you're yeah. not, are you? No, I'm. I'm looking for a picture of this guy. Uh, keep keep a lookout for those continued provocation tactics, like you were just uh, describing, um, on, on the side of Hillary provoking people to say that she's sick and dying because they can capture those those phrases and those words and they can then regurgitate them later and use them as a way to demonize people. So look out for that. Look out for those priming tactics in the media of them presenting how to feel about a story before they tell you what the story is and look for yes. the, the the discrepancy between what's the emotionless and an emotionless read of the story versus what they were adding to it. Because if you watch like this MSNBC clip, you see a complete just exaggerate. It does not match the reality. It's over the top. So look out for those priming effects in the media. And, and it's even uh, can happen after. So when we saw the Gary Johnson thing where he says, he says, what would you do in Barnacle? We talked about this last time. What would you do about a Lepo? <laughs> And Carrie Johnson says, what is a lepo? And Barnacle starts laughing at him, openly mocking him and saying, you have to be kidding. I can't believe you don't know that. What's the matter with you? So that you do that, too. That's what he was doing. I I want first let me show you my this. uh, Can you see this? This Uh, this is the witness. That's me. Like the ink is me screaming at the paper. Killings. Yeah, and then this is supposed to be a picture of people grieving over the killings, but it doesn't. It says people grieving over somebody killed. I mean, it's just you know, no idea if that's the right picture or anything. But if you read the article, there the witness does not seem very credible. But I was just demonstrating that you know the huge headline on a, on page A six. I mean, that's that's some prime real estate, and the article doesn't hold up. But I wanted to tell people that we can, if they want to comment. 
in any format on your website, on my website, under the YouTube video, we can read the comments and address your questions and stuff next time on the yeah. air. So my website's MonicaPerezShow.com. What do you, where do you want people my, to go? For mine you? is freedomactradio.com, and I do most of my stuff through video on YouTube. So you go to my What's go your, to my because I don't have a, you have to have like a thousand subscribers. What's your channel? You have to have a thousand subscribers to have a channel uh, ID. So it's a bunch of numbers. So go to my website, and from there you can see my YouTube page at the top of it. Okay, and you want people to subscribe because that'll yes, be better for yes. you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> In layman's exactly. terms, subscribe to my YouTube page. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think that's it. Do you have anything uh, One else? more thing I want to mention because it's relevant this week is uh, Trump, and I'll, I'll find the audio and I'll put it in here. Trump recently was, he was talking somewhere and there's audio of him saying, well, usually when I perform, I do whatever. And he, and he says perform. It is hot and it's always hot when I perform because the crowds are so big. These rooms were not designed for this kind of a crowd. So that's what he sees, what he's doing. And then there's a, there's a book that I mentioned last week about uh, getting Nixon into office, um, how to uh, selling a president. And Roger Ailes plays a prominent role yes. in it. And towards the end of that book, there's a line from Roger Ailes, and it says, from here on out, the, the, the person who gets elected president is going to have to be a performer. And I thought it was ironic because Ailes is working with Trump now and, and that line that Trump used. Oh, yes. And, and I, my daughter could not believe it when I mentioned that Trump was a, a WWE yeah, superstar. Yeah. So I, I posted recently, maybe I'll put it in the show notes for this on my website, a video of him uh, body slamming. I don't know what you call it, like jumping on hugging, top of tightly hugging. Mr. McMahon. He knocked him over and, you know bounced on top of him and then shaved his head. And it was so <laughs> it was a really violent hug. <laughs> it was so funny, but it was definitely a performance and it was so believable. I mean, oh, Donald yeah. Trump was like super serious. He's like, I'm telling you how it's going to be. And I was He's like, good wow. at it. Well, He's good at it. So uh, tomorrow, well, I shouldn't say tomorrow because it won't even be up by then. September 17th is Constitution Day. So people should get out your constitution. You can just read it. If you just read it super short, you'll get the whole thing. Or even just read the Bill of Rights, one page. Bill of Rights. I, I'd actually like to hit one Bill of Rights. Bill of Rights. <laughs> one of the right. One of the amendments of the Bill of Rights. Uh Maybe do a little bit on each one of those over time. If you want that, write it in the comment section, and I will just address each one of the amendments in uh, future shows. Okay, that's all I got. That's all I got. All right, awesome. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley. And this has been the Propaganda. See you guys later. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Have you had enough of the rubber stamp?